Hello, and welcome to episode 181 of SMARTS, which as we all know stands for... Side mystery about Riddler terminates suspensefully. Ooh. Ooh. Good one. Thank you. My name is Rutger Q Podcaster, aka Trevor, and Hello. your name is... Julia Gulia of Internet Fame, Dash Podcaster. Correct. <laughs> I like how you say correct after every time I say that. So we have a little bit of news. Oh. Um, so Warner Brothers in DC have slated uh, two movies for 2021. Okay. Movies that we kind of already knew were happening, but now have definitive dates. So in 2021, we'll get um, the Matt Reeves directed The Batman Ooh. and the um, James Gunn penned uh, director still up in the air uh, Suicide Squad sequel simply called The Suicide Squad. Hmm. I think they're... So we only know a little bit about this. We know that the, the Batman will focus on a younger Batman and will have a heavy detective element. Mm-hmm. And it was confirmed this week that Ben Affleck will not be starring in it. Now, whether that means he's out as Batman entirely or just for this project, because it will be presumably, if it's in continuity with the other movies, set in the past, mm-hmm. and therefore he would be too old for it. Mm-hmm. We don't know. Um, regarding the Suicide Squad, like I said, we know that James Gunn is writing the script, and we know that, I mean, even though the first movie was very successful commercially, it was a flop critically. So I think that they're trying to sort of rebrand, like the reason they're not calling it Suicide Squad 2 is because I, I think they kind of want to distance it from the first movie. And they've also said that it will focus on a largely new cast. So I imagine that Margot Robbie will be back as Harley Quinn. Mm-hmm. Maybe Will Smith is Deadshot because he's the other mm-hmm. sort of headliner. And also he was probably one of the mo- one of the better characters from the first movie. Yeah. But I, I'd be very surprised if we saw, you know, Enchantress yeah, or Rick, maybe yeah. Rick Flagg or like Croc or, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. Boomerang. I think those other characters would be, I think, I mean, Amanda Waller will presumably be in there. She came off pretty well in the first movie mm-hmm. too. Um, but I think it'll focus on a largely new cast and, and James Gunn is apparently in talks to direct as well, um, which I think would be interesting. I, we, I, we commented after we saw the first movie that it seemed like, it seemed like stylistically, I mean, there was all sorts of behind the scenes shenanigans and re-editing and different stuff to like a mad rush at the end to make it into a movie that it wasn't really designed to be. It seemed like they took a dark sort of espionage movie and tried to add crazy Guardians of the Galaxy style humor and music influences to it, you yeah. know, with like the little title cards that told you all about the characters and the mm-hmm. the the pop music, popular music songs that would accompany each whatever. It seemed like they kind of tried to turn it into something it wasn't intended to be. But if from the beginning it's intended to be a Guardians of the Galaxy style Mm -hmm. lighthearted action movie like James Gunn seems to like to do. Although maybe he'll go darker for this one. I don't know what they did for Guardians of the Galaxy. But so long as they have someone there who who they trust to execute a specific vision and don't try to tamper with it afterwards, Mm -hmm. then hopefully this one will be more cohesive. So we know we're getting those in 2021. Um, yeah, so no Affleck for the Batman and James Gunn possibly directing the Suicide Squad. I think that, that I would say that seems pretty likely at this point. I mean, they're going forward with the script. They've got seemingly a good working relationship with him. So I wouldn't mm-hmm. be surprised to see him write and direct that one. Mm-hmm. And so that'll be, so we got Shazam this year in just a few months and then Wonder Woman 1984 next year. I think mm-hmm. this year, and next year, only one movie each and then 2021, apparently two movies, but there's a lot that's still up in the air that we don't know. This, you know, is it going to be Green Lantern Corps at some point, Flash at some point, Cyborg at some point? I mean, there's almost certainly going to be an Aquaman too, based on how well that one did. Yeah. The Nightwing movie is still out there somewhere. Oh, and Birds of Prey has started shooting. So maybe that's next year also. Maybe Birds of Prey and Wonder Woman 1984 next year, because Birds of Prey has started, mm-hmm. started production. Um, yeah. And so that's it for the news. Just a little bit about those those two movies. Nice. Cool. So what was your comic of the week? So this week I picked Silencer number 13. I really love 
this issue very, very, very much because it gives you more insight into the character. It gives you more insight into her history. And for me, for my part, I, I feel a little dim about this part that I'm going to share with you guys, but I didn't realize that her silencing ability was a meta ability that she had since like innately or you know at least since she was a teenager based on the flashbacks of her at school using it without the suit without anything else i i legit thought it was connected to a suit that she always wears um and then no, it was we've just seen a piece her of tech it. we've seen her use it multiple times not wearing the suit though mm, i knew it was i knew it was an ability she had i just i we had no information on thought, whether she had it yeah. as a child or not but that's that's not I didn't know boring. it was a meta ability. I thought it was. I thought it was somehow given to her through the suit or through the technology or through her training in some way. I didn't realize that it was something that she brought to the table in the first place and actually made her a desirable target for Talia Al Ghul to groom as her personal, I don't know, gopher <laughs> um, and assassin. It was it was very interesting to see their dynamic, the the history of their relationship, the fact that Talia didn't age in all the time that she's known her through the decades that she's um, controlled her, controlled Honor, and then we see how it mattered to Honor for the longest time to have a family and to retire from this business and to make her own boring life as she sees fit, and have a piece of the normalcy that she never had. Um, and how Talia sort of manipulated the situation. So she's not outright breaking her promise, but she's definitely not keeping her word. She's very much a devil in disguise. Um, and then all of this is her life flashing before her eyes and her memories fading as she is resurrected in the Lazarus pit from picking up from last week's issue, um, which we knew that she'd be dipped into the Lazarus pit. And we also knew that um all but all all people who are not related to Rachel Ghoul in some way are more likely to lose themselves in the pit and so at the end of the issue we see her climb out of the pit and uh sort of bow in allegiance but i'm thinking oh she's she's so stubborn and she's so whatever um like strong um and whatever and so i'm thinking oh is this a, is this a ploy is this a way that she is going to manipulate the situation like does she actually remember anything about who she is because the last memories of her husband and um baby she's you know presumably they're fading away fading away and then she's sort of standing there dripping in the thing oh it was just such a good issue and the art is really good oh, i just really enjoyed it so it, this one gave me the most feels this week and that's why i chose it for my comic of the week very good what about you so I picked Heroes in Crisis number five. Oh, good one. I yeah. was going to pick that if I hadn't had so many feels from Silencer. So I, I do agree with, with the common critique that it does seem like it's moving a little slowly. Yeah. But I think that's, that's I mean, it's a, one could look at like Mr. Miracle and say that it moved pretty slowly too. And I think it's for largely the same reason. It's a character examination. Yeah. It's not supposed, supposed to be a suspenseful action thriller, even mm -hmm. though I think that it was kind of maybe missold that way as a, as a murder mystery, first yeah. and foremost. And that's partially King's fault for sort of setting setting the story up that way and also partially, you know, the advertising and stuff fault for making us think that that's what the story was going to be. Yeah. I don't think it was ever intended to be that. No more than Mr. Miracle ended up being about was this real and was it not? I mean, we kind of got an answer to that and that was part of the mystery in the background, but that really faded away after the first couple of issues and you were just invested in the lives of the characters and what they were going through. Mm -hmm. And I think something similar is, is the aim here. Um, 
and so I, I really enjoy. I mean, I enjoy the stuff with Booster Booster Gold and Ted Cord. I enjoy the. I was particularly happy to see the the um, the hint that there's more to the murdered heroes than meets the eye because Booster is like, oh, you know, I know everything I know about time travel and the laws and so on. Like this, this Wally West is five days to five days older than he should be. So there's like some time travel shenanigans going on here. Although my sort of nerd brain kicked in there and I'm like, it doesn't really work because flashes especially travel through time so much that there's no way that any speedsters biological age correlates with their calendar age anyway, by right. a wide margin. Like how, mu- how much time has Barry Allen spent in other time periods, right? There's no way those ages will line up at all. Mm-hmm. So unless Booster's records take all of that into account and it's still off by five days, you can kind of make it work. Like he, he would have accurate records in the future mm-hmm. of the amount of time that Wally West spent time traveling and so on, maybe. But, um, but I do like that because it implies that maybe some of these murdered heroes aren't really dead or are going to come back in some way. Not that the story is really about that. Um, but I think the main reason why I picked it was a lovely sequence at the end where Superman is giving this press conference trying to um, mitigate the sort of PR damage that's being done or that the, that the heroes are worried might be done by the fact that the world now knows that Sanctuary existed and the kind of things that were going on there. He's worried that people might lose their faith in their heroes if they see that they had feet of clay in some cases and mm-hmm. that they had their own insecurities and worries and hang-ups and psychoses and phobias and traumas and stuff. And so he delivers this beautiful speech about how you know, all the heroes he's known and none of them were perfect, but they all, they all put their lives on the line, no matter the cost and all this. And meanwhile, we see this, this beautiful series of images from all throughout the DC universe, you know, Mr. Terrific, the Adam, Shining Knight, Adam Strange, you know, risking their lives and fighting against impossible odds Mm -hmm. and so on like this. And just sort of gives you a sense of the breadth of, you know, the pantheon of heroes and the fact that every single one of them risks their lives in this way and knowing what the cost might be and it was just a you know tom king obviously is a wonderful writer and so it was a beautiful sequence and and i really enjoyed that part of it so that's probably the main reason why i picked it i liked in in that same speech i really liked the lines where he said that you should be encouraged that your your heroes the people who go out there feel this way and are vulnerable in this way in the same ways that we regular people are and that should encourage you because if we didn't feel the consequences of this, then we wouldn't feel the importance of the work. And it would just be, you know, we're not fantastical beings that just come out and, and are made of some starlight and goodness. You know, it's it, we have the same vulnerabilities. We just choose to face them and choose to accept these consequences. And this place exists because we too need a place to heal from those wounds. Um, invisible as well as visible wounds. So be encouraged by that. And I thought that was so great because it can, that's another way in which Superman is, when well written, connects to the everyday man. And the, and for him to have that particular connection in his speech was a powerful, mm, powerful moment for me, anyway. I yep. think it resonated it was really very good. nicely. Yeah. And so that's why I picked it. Very good choice. Are you ready for your pop quiz? Yes. Okay, so this week, because of some stuff that was going on in The Flash and the TV show, I'm going to quiz you about evil speedsters. Oh, oh boy. So I'm going to give you a fact about an evil speedster, and you will need to tell me whether the fact uh, pertains to Reverse Flash, Zoom, The Black Flash, or The Red Death. Oh. Okay. Okay. You got all that? But I don't remember The Red Death. Oh, he was no. the he was the evil. We just had this conversation less than a week ago. He was mm-hmm. the evil, uh, the evil Batman speedster from the Dark right. Knights, the Dark Knights Metal, and uh, all that stuff. All right, good. Now that I know who he is. Okay. <laughs> all right. 
Are you yeah, ready? Ready. All right. So number one. Once murdered Iris West Allen at a costume party. At a costume party. Oh, man. She's been dead a couple times. Um, let's see. Um, zoom. No, that was reverse flash. Yeah, all right. All right. Number two. Caused Linda Park West to miscarry by creating a sonic boom with a finger snap. Oh, that's awful. You told me about this. Was this Zoom? That was Zoom. Yes. Okay. Number three. Mm -hmm. Was defeated by Wally racing him to the end of time. Who did? Um, what are my villain options again? Reverse Flash, Zoom, Black Flash, or Red Death. Black Flash. Correct. Yes. That was that was a cool writer writer moment there because Wally was gambling that because the Black Flash is the personification of death, if he raced him to the end of time, where time ceased and death no longer had any meaning, that he would disappear and cease to exist, and he he did. So That's that was awesome. the, that was the way that he beat him. All right, number four, use the Rogue's weapons to attack the Flash when he refused to relinquish his Speed Force connection. Ooh. Um, um, okay, Red Death. Yes, that was Red Death. Awesome. All right, number five. Attempted to murder Barry's soon-to-be second wife, Fiona Webb. Reverse Flash? Yes. Awesome. All right, are you just taking guesses or are you basing these on something? No, just instinct. All right, number six. <laughs> Idolized Barry Allen, but goes insane when he discovers he is destined to be his enemy. Reverse Flash. Correct. Number seven, was co-created by Grant Morrison. Oh. Zoom? No, Black Flash. Oh. Zoom right. was created by the second Zoom, Hunter Zolomon, was created by Jeff Johns for his Flash run. Oh, okay. All, All right. right. Number eight, massacred the Freedom Fighters during Infinite Crisis. Oh, no. I don't remember. Um... Well, you never read that story, so that's why you don't remember. Yeah, I know, but you talk about it so often. I think you mentioned it once or twice. <laughs> to your own point, why are you asking me a question I have no hope of answering? You have hope. I have hope? <laughs> I've got a one in, tw a one in four chance. I pick reverse flash. I uh, know, it was Zoom. It was Zoom? Damn. All right. You did pretty good. Yeah, I only got three wrong, so how many were there? Eight. Well... Yeah, five out of eight. That's five good. out of eight. That's <laughs> better than passing. That's All good. right. So we only have a few shows to talk about this week. We've got Star Wars Resistance, Star Trek Discovery, Gotham, Flash, and Arrow. Yep. All right. So Star Wars Resistance, this one was called the First Order Occupation. Mm -hmm. So not a lot goes on in this one. The First Order is occupying the station. Yeah. And uh, Kaz helps Sonara get off the station. And uh, I guess, I mean, the main thing here is just the, I mean, there's obvious allegories and foreshadowing going on here that oh you know some people are like oh these these first order guys aren't so bad they're just here to increase security and there's the whole how much personal liberty do you give up for security right. balancing act that that uh, that's at work here it does read as as it, it does make some of the characters look pretty naive and dumb when they're like oh it, they're, don't you see they're just here to help with security it's like they're literally wearing stormtrooper outfits yeah, these no people kidding. blew up a planet a few decades ago like i get that you weren't born yet but it's not like this has been scrubbed from the history books like you should 
You know, it's, yep. it's a bad news. It was like, you know, the modern world where people show up wearing Nazi uniforms. You're like, mm-hmm. oh, they're just here to provide security. Like, no, <laughs> we should be smarter than that. So it does make some characters seem a little dumb. But I get what they're doing. It's like, oh, you know, there's reasonable arguments. And then, you know, of course, they're going to blow up the New Republic later this season. Mm-hmm. And then everybody will presumably see them for what they are. Do you have do you have anything to say about this one? I enjoyed it. I like that um, Tam and um, Doza were both sort of on the eye-opening side of things, you know, like they're the regular citizens, so to speak. Um, and yes, I know that Doza commands the station, but he, he had a really nice line towards the end of it, like, they're just here to offer protection, the robot says, and the and he says, but at what cost? Which yeah, is a I good question Yeah, I think he's, he's as wary of, he doesn't know necessarily that they pose the out-and-out threat that Kaz does because he's from the resistance, right. but I think he's more wary of them than probably anybody else in the station, Agreed. aside from people that are literally affiliated with the resistance. Agreed, and I'm glad they had the... I was wondering where that interaction, the first one where uh, Kaz interjects when someone is being interrogated on a platform for no reason um, and sort of bullied and threatened by three stormtroopers. And I was wondering how that situation would resolve. And I'm, I think they, they uh, scripted it very elegantly. What did you think about that interaction? Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was good. Um, so I'm, I'm really enjoying the show. I think it's great. Because yep. it still keeps things simple. It is still a kid's show, but it does ask some good questions. So now, like, as an adult viewing this stuff, I'm I'm seeing exactly what they're doing, obviously. But I wonder how kid me would have responded to these types of themes. Like a yeah. nine-year-old kid watching this, is how, much it, how much are they really getting out of it? I suppose it depends on um, what they know so far. Well, I mean, kids are smart. I mean, I don't remember yeah. how old I was when I first first saw Star Wars when I was old enough to actually understand what was going on. But I, I was picking up on mm-hmm. the themes the and stuff themes, in the general. Yeah. I'm not sure I was aware of like specific historical parallels right. to like the fascist yes, empire yes. and so on. But I was like, oh, you know, fascism bad, <laughs> you know, yeah. personal freedom is good, you know. Yeah. I was picking up on that. Okay. Um, so Star Trek Discovery, this one was called Point of Light. Um, I don't think I enjoyed this one quite as much as the first two because it's definitely more of a return to the storylines and almost more of the tone of the first season. With, mm-hmm. with all the Klingon stuff and everything, which we got so much of in the first season. I think some people, I mean, I enjoy that stuff and I enjoy, you know, the actors involved. And in I mean, I was always a big fan of the political infighting and Shakespearean drama and stuff of the Klingon Empire and all the shows from the, yeah. you know, and all the, the 24th century shows. Um, but yeah, I, I, I was, I, w- I had some, sort of gotten enamored of the new mission statement and tone of the show from the first couple of episodes. Yeah. It was sort of jarring to go back to the, like the whole... Burnham, Tyler, will they, won't they thing, and mm-hmm. the and the Laurel stuff and all that stuff. Um, I mean, there was a lot of Spock stuff in here also, but it was mostly just this. This I agree with people who have said this one kind of feels like sort of a, a bridge episode, like mostly set up because it was mostly just Burnham, Amanda, and Pike talking about Spock, and Laurel and Tyler and a couple of other Klingons talking about the situation in the Klingon Empire, and then there's a fight scene, you know, near the end mm-hmm. where Georgiou comes in and does some awesome martial arts stuff and saves them, but. And there, it just seemed like a lot of setup. Like, we need to have this episode now so that we can get Tyler with Section 31. We can solidify Laurel as the leader of the Klingon Empire, and we can set up some future stuff to happen with Spock. Including uh, Georgie's new show. Right. And, but we're going to see more of her in this season. So it seems like now she and she's like Tyler is kind of her, her mm-hmm. sidekick in Section <laughs> 31. And so they're going to show up later. I mean, we've seen in trailers sequences of all of them aboard the Discovery. So we know that they're going to cross paths with the Discovery again later. And presumably that will. So does that mean Tyler is going to be on the George U show? I guess it's possible. possible. <laughs> the George U show makes it sound like that's going to be the, sounds <laughs> the like a 1960s it, yeah. variety hour. Um, 
but um yeah, I guess that's possible. I mean, they could do that. I mean, it would be interesting to have. I mean, he's an interesting character. I just feel like I, I'm not quite sure what they're going to do with him because it feels like what what other it feels like his story was kind of told. Mm-hmm. Like how much, unless you send him off in an interesting new direction, how much more can you do the, you know, I'm in love with Burnham, but I'm but I'm conflicted because I'm really Klingon, and you know what I mean. Like I just yeah. I feel like there's not really a lot of places to go with that story, but maybe they'll take it off in an interesting new, or they'll just say, okay, this is who he is. Now we're going to have crazy espionage adventures with him and Georgiou, mm-hmm. and he'll be kind of like a fish out of water type. That could be interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and we get some interesting new information about Spock, such as that he supposedly murdered several employees at the... So he's in a mental yeah. institution on Starbase 5. Did we know that already before this episode? Yeah. We knew that. But we didn't know that his files were were sealed because he apparently murdered several of the staff. Um, so that's new. But I did like the, I did like the whole thing with Pike where he's like, I can't let you get in. Now, those are restricted files. And then he calls up his buddy at Starbase 5 and he's like, oh yeah, there's all this weird stuff going on. He murdered a bunch of guards and stuff. And Pike's like, okay, we're totally opening that file now. Yeah. And more, and moreover, he, so Burnham, Burnham wanted to do it and he, she's like, I'll go do it behind your back if I have to. But then Pike ordered her to do it, which meant that if there was any blowback, it comes on him because he, she was just following I orders. love that moment. I love that moment yeah. because he knows what he's doing and, and they didn't have the, they didn't have the whole thing where he's like no you got to follow right. the rules he's like no I know as soon as as soon as the guy said that Spock could murder people he was like okay I 100% agree with you mm-hmm. this is there's something weird going on cuz Spock would not kill anybody so yep. but I did like the whole thing with with Amanda I mean the scenes the individual scenes were good I just felt like there I could have done with a bit more substance in the episode but I do like the whole thing where Amanda confides in Burnham that she was kind of worried that she she broke Spock you know, mm. beca- by by treating by by going along with Sarek's desire to treat him in a very Vulcan dispassionate way. Vulcan yep. way, mm-hmm. and allowing Burnham to sort of be her outlet for her more emotional maternal yeah. Uh, it also explains the feelings. scenes before that when we were having flashbacks in the episode before that to Burnham, um, a kid Burnham being read to by Amanda, and they're sitting in the bed and she's reading her a story, and you see the little kid Spock look in on them, and I mean from that visual alone you were able to suss out that he was sort of just a little bit jealous of his sibling, but now that jealousy is so much more explained so yeah. much more and we, justified we get more more interesting information here too that he used to be they used to be inseparable like he used to follow her around like a like a little puppy dog mm-hmm. but she was worried that this part seemed a little contrived but it, she was worried that there would be more attacks on her because she's mm-hmm. been you know her first her parents were killed in a klingon attack and then she was the target of a uh terrorist attack by the vulcan extremists you know Mm -hmm. in in her school on Vulcan and people died so she's worried that there might be another one I guess and so she doesn't want people to get too close to her and so she she irreparably damaged her relationship with Spock in some way that we don't quite know yet yet. I I mean I've seen people speculating that it was it it wouldn't take much more than her just and this would be a real sore spot for him for a number of reasons and it has the benefit of having a grain of truth in it which is you know the most always the most hurtful lies are the ones that have a grain of truth in them as if she had said to him Look at the way your mother is with me. She loves me. She never loved you because she never treats you with that oh. kind of the kind of love she shows me, right? And we, the audience, now understand why her mother, yeah. why their mother was behaving that way, and how how hard it was for her. But that would really hit home with him, especially being as young and impressionable mm-hmm. and conflicted as he is between emotion and logic and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I do feel like there's it's it's either a little bit of a continuity issue or a story that that is yet to be told, where we see Amanda later 
in TOS and especially in like, I remember Star Trek IV The Voyage Home when Spock has come back to life. She's the one like encouraging him to get back in touch with his human side, fearing that he'd lost it in the whole dying and coming back thing. Like, mm-hmm. how do you feel, right? And tell, yes. my, tell, my mo- tell mother that I feel fine at the end of the movie, you yes. know? Later on in her life, She's like encouraging him to yes. accept his human yes. side. Whereas, so maybe she's not, maybe she, that's because she, she regrets the way she treated him when she was a child. And now after they reconnect, mm-hmm. possibly in this series or maybe between this and TOS, mm-hmm. she allows herself more to try to encourage him to, so I, it's not a, it's not a, a, a discrepancy necessarily, but it's an interesting um, difference between her at this point in her life and her as we see her decades later, yes. that her attitude towards him and how she treats him are very, very different. Mm-hmm. Maybe as a result of lessons she learns during the storyline. You know, she went too far the yeah. other direction. Um, yeah, and all the stuff on the Klingon homeworld is interesting. Um, this, there's the, the theory that I saw batted around that uh, the Tyler and Laurel's child grows up to be the albino that from the, so the Deep Space Nine episode that murdered the core Kolos and... Kang. Kangs. I always forget Kang for some reason. Uh, kids, because how many albino Klingons are there? But then again, in that episode, we never really got too good a look at him because it was standard deaf and we couldn't even tell if the albino was in fact a Klingon. He could have been some other mm-hmm. race. But it, it's it's an interesting theory and it kind of works, but I think that's probably not not at all the intention. And of course, the monastery on Borath that he was sent off to is the same monastery we've heard referred to multiple times. It's the same one where Worf goes mm-hmm. in TNG and has, and, and Kalas, that we appears later learned to, to be him. the clone, occur, appears to him there. That's the monastery where Kalas pointed to the stars before he departed and said, look for me, me there on that point of light, you know, mm-hmm. and so that's where the monks set up awaiting his return and stuff. So that's like the preeminent Klingon monastery. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of good stuff in here, but I think it was it was mostly set up. I'm looking forward to, and of course there's all the, there's all the Tilly stuff too. I mean, I guess there was a lot of stuff in here. It just, none of it really felt like it, it coalesced into a complete mm-hmm. episode for me, but the Tilly stuff was interesting too. So we learned that the the ghost of this May person that's appearing to her, um, it doesn't really even seem like it was the, the the mycelial network communicating through her in some way. It was like this this alien parasite that, mm-hmm. that attached to itself well, to her fungal because it's well, literally a fungi. That's what I was. No, I don't. I don't think that's what they said though. I think she had been like infected or whatever you mm-hmm. want to call it by the spores, mm-hmm. and I think they said that this thing was like a parasite that was that was attracted to her because of that infection. Mm. That this was not a phenomenon, a manifestation of the spores itself, but a, a, by, a side effect, a consequence of her being infected by the spores. Whereas we were kind of thinking that this was the network, like people that that had died could still communicate with the living through the network or something, and maybe that's why Culber was trying to communicate with Stamets. Mm-hmm. Last season, but then it, then there were a lot of clues in this episode that this is not really the any real representation of this person that died because the whole like she doesn't know what tears are and all that stuff, right? So right. clearly, this isn't these are not or this in the specific instance is not a real person who has died mm-hmm. communicating. It's someone who's taking that shape to yes. try to get whatever they want mm-hmm. done, you know. And clearly, she wanted Stamets in some way because she thought Stamets was the captain. Like, no, yes. the shorter, blonder, paler one, right? Yep, the um, one who drives the ship. Yeah. So that that's yeah. So I don't know. It's, it clearly has something to do with the mycelial network, and they said as much. And then there's that awesome scene where Stamets like Ghostbusters the thing out of her. Yes. Um, like sucks it into like the little mm-hmm. the little uh, what do they what do they call the things? I know they had the proton packs in Ghostbusters, but what do they call the little traps that they would suck the ghosts into? That. Oh, um, no, I, I think, think that was a proton pack. No, the proton packs were the backpacks they wore right. and the little laser beams where you couldn't cross the streams. But then they had, like, the little rectangular I think they just called traps. traps. That, yeah, I think they just called them traps. But he, like, he sucks it out of her with, like, yeah, this thing. Yeah. And it's like, oh, we got it. Um, 
But and I, but I do appreciate the fact that after the initial scene where she's weird on the bridge and she blows up at Pike yeah. or seems to, and Pike immediately is like, "Is there something wrong, Ensign? Because you're yeah. not talking nearly as much as you normally do." Everybody <laughs> is immediately everybody like they're like, "What's up with her?" Because of course they're not going to immediately assume it's some right. sort of weird alien possession thing. But as soon as she says to Burnham, "I've been seeing this person who's supposed to be dead," Burnham's like, "Okay, I 100% believe you. Let's figure this out." And they yep. take her to sick bay and and Stamets and the doctor are like, "Oh, you're right. We've run these tests, and here we can see it's this thing." Like, there's not. It's not a three or four episode. I like that it's not three or four episodes where either she's tormented by this and refuses to tell anyone. Right. Because that would get real old. Or she tells everyone, but no, nobody believes her. Yeah. It's like, I do like, especially in Star Trek, because because weird stuff happens on these ships all the time. Mm-hmm. It's like someone's lost in time or someone's like being yeah. communicated with by a telepathic species or they're possessed by like, it happens literally every week. Yeah. So as soon as someone says, oh, I'm seeing this person who's supposed to be dead, everybody's like, okay, there's a science thing going on. Let's figure out what the, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like everybody instantly, yep. and they figure it out. Like I, I especially enjoy that on Star Trek when there's not a lot of hemming and hawing about, oh, I wish she's been under a lot of pressure recently. And you know what I mean? Like they instantly believe her. Because of course, this stuff happens all the time. Mm -hmm. Like there must be a protocol in the manual about this. Like, so you think you're possessed by an alien fungus, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, follow follow, step one, you know, get the suction thing. Step two, question, question, question mark. Step three, profit. (laughs) Um, Or no profit because there's no money. Right. Um, So Gotham this week... Uh, so this this one was mainly served to introduce. Now I'm going to blank on the, the guy's name. Shane West, Shane West's uh, new character, uh, Eduardo yes. Dorrance, um, who is going to become important later on because I know certain things about certain aspects of the character that he's playing that you don't know yet. Ooh, um, mystery. He was doing something with his voice, right? Was he trying to do like a little bit of an accent or something? Because having seen him on ER, he just sounds like a regular guy. But here he had like a little bit of an affectation in his voice. Like he was enunciating in a slightly different way. I'm not sure because his name, the character's name is Eduardo. So I wondered if he was like trying to do like a little hint of a Latin accent, accent or something or I don't know. Um, I thought he was good though. I mean, he... I, I like I like him generally, and other things I've seen seen him in. You know, he's more weathered here than he was. Like he, I I've he seen sound- him in like stuff where he was kind of boyish, you know. But he- I thought he sounded yes, I I have too. I thought he sounded to this, uh, more mm, like America, you know, kind of soldier. I don't know. There's there something know. something weird in some of his inflections, but um, so we think he's the. Well, I guess he is. So I guess we know this part to be true is that he's an old army buddy of Gordon's mm-hmm. and he comes in and he's going to, they're surprisingly effective. Like they send in like 10 guys yep. and they're instantly clean up all the gangs yep. and stuff, basically. Um, it makes you wonder why they didn't just send in 10 guys from the beginning or right. leave 10 guys behind before they blew up the bridges, if that's all it would take. Um, and then at the end, though, it turns out, so this is weird. It turns out that, I mean, some of this is just like, wait, what, what are we doing now? Like there was, there was... <laughs> So the secretary of what defense or something like this, this female politician that Gordon was communicating with the one that sent in Shane West and the the soldiers was conspiring had hired Hugo strange to implant a chip in the Riddler's brain so that he would blow up Haven. Haven. Do we know why yet? No. For some reason. And then sent in Shane West and his army guys Mm -hmm. to, ostensibly secure the city but maybe not maybe some other maybe to like for some other secret mission because because clearly they have more plans for the riddler well at the very least they've turned the riddler against gordon although that might just be to cover up what was done already not necessarily they wanted whatever their mission was they shane west wanted um gordon to shoot the riddler 
Right, presumably to cover up, presumably to cover exactly, up what had already massive been done. Cover up, yeah. So we don't know if there's more to their plan though, or if the destruction of Haven was their plan, and then Shane West was just sent in to tie up loose ends. We don't right. really know. But what would someone in the government have to benefit from blowing up Haven? I don't know. Something optics. I don't know. I, it's just to maybe make it seem like the situation in Gotham was irreparable, and so they wouldn't. So they so it would be easier to save face and not send in. You know what I mean? Like yeah. if you're getting it from both sides, like oh, we need to help the people of Gotham. Oh no, we can't help the people of Gotham. If you make it seem like they're tearing each other apart in the city, then maybe it's easier to justify to your constituents not sending in relief efforts, right? Mm-hmm. But then she literally sends in the the army to help as a way of. So I I don't quite get what there's some sort of weird conspiracy going on. I don't quite get the scene where. Where Hugo Strange removes the top of Enigma's skull and is doing stuff uh, to his brain. Like, that would work if you were anesthetized. But the, the part that's a little unrealistic is the fact that he just, like, stapled the, the skull and the skin back on later yeah. and the hair and everything. Yeah. And, and he was fine. Yeah. Like, he was walking around with seemingly very little pain, completely coherent, mm-hmm. able to walk around. Like, no, you, I think you'd, you'd require months and months of yeah. recuperation before you could even stand up, I would think. Um, so that was a little bizarre. I mean, you can, you, and not that he was anesthetized, he was like paralyzed basically, but you can even communicate. Like when they've got, when they remove mm-hmm. your skull and they're doing stuff on your brain, you can actually, and they will sometimes communicate with you. Like if mm-hmm. they're, they're trying to get a specific area of your brain, mm-hmm. they will ask you questions so they can tell which areas they're, they're operating on or being affected based on your answer. So you, you are coherent and cogent and conscious, or you can be when they're doing stuff to your brain, but the idea right. that you'd be just fine afterwards with no recuperation and just staple it back on yeah. there like a cartoon, yeah. um, is a little silly. Um, so flash, this one was called memorabilia. Mm-hmm. So this was sort of a, a fun trip to the future kind of in, in a way that they go into, um, they go. So Nora goes into Grace's mind mm-hmm. and Barry and Iris go into Nora's mind accidentally. Mm-hmm. Um, so they get a glimpse of the Flash Museum. And so that's fun. Like we see all the exhibits and they see people hinted at that we haven't seen yet. Like they have a, they have Future Singh talking in like a little documentary kiosk. And he says, oh, you know, Cicada killed even more than the Red Death or whatever. Like, ooh, Red Death, that's a name we know. Um, there's more furthering of her her plot with Thon. I, I like the whole, I, the, what did you think of the whole, like we see, we see the scene between Iris and little Nora in the future yeah. and Iris is not like, I don't know. Like, I think, I feel like they, they, I don't know, either they didn't hit, they hit it too hard. Or they didn't hit it hard enough. Like she didn't seem like a terrible mother to me in that scene. She just seemed like a, a, a stressed out, worried, angry, you know, a, yeah. frustrated at her kid, you know, like yeah. a, a parents are that, it doesn't mean, I, I didn't look at that scene and I'm like, wow, what a horrible mother, like in the way that I feel like we were kind of supposed to. Yeah. Maybe they didn't want to paint her too badly, even though they were going to reveal later that that's not really how it happened. Right. They didn't want to turn you off the character entirely. And then we see her, the what really happened later, and she was almost unrealistically understanding of the fact that her daughter had run away to the Flash Museum. Like she wasn't even a little angry, you know, like I feel like they, there was a better balance that could have struck there between the the false memory and the reality right that doesn't make her seem almost saintly by the saintly by the end and because i i thought it was kind of interesting when they're like yeah iris is not a great mother in some ways later because of the you know she lost her husband and she's worried her daughter might go down the same path so she makes some mistakes and stuff mm-hmm. and some of that is still true like she did still take nora's powers away which may or may not be a mistake so she did she is still guilty of that but i kind of like the idea that that She's she's not she's not destined to be like this perfect mother necessarily right. under all circumstances. Yeah. And now they feel like they're kind of softening that by showing that no, that's just the way that Nora perceived it at the time, but she actually was basically, with the exception of the arguable mistake of dampening her daughter's powers. Um, 
actually was basically a, a perfect mother, you know, like I'm not, yeah. I kind of thought it was interesting when she had that flaw that I don't know. I whether mean, this Iris scold- is destined to be a great mother or not, that the Iris that Nora Remembers. from the timeline that she comes from, which will presumably be averted because Barry's presumably not going to die, was not a perfect mother. That mm-hmm. it's not destined that she will always be a perfect mother in every timeline, you know, I kind of like that potential flaw in her future, which seems like now is kind of being retconned a little bit. Maybe. I don't know. I read that scene a little differently because she did scold her daughter and she was trying to be understanding and to explain to her, you know, you can't do this when you feel these things and it's completely fine that you have these feelings. Yeah, but feelings, she was but, understanding but and she comforting. Scolded her. I know, but she scolded her at the beginning. Yeah, a little. Like, did, that was the first thing. Like, I've been looking for you all over. I like, just where were you? That's I just, not okay. Like, the way she was in the initial scene where she's like, you can't do that. I'm really mad at you. We're leaving now. Mm-hmm. Forget about your dumb toy. I'll buy you another one. You know, like, that, yeah. that came across as like a realistic, haggard... Mm-hmm. single that, mom yeah. who's just been through a scary experience where she thought her daughter ran away yeah. you know like yeah. i wasn't i wasn't holding any of that against her and yeah. the fact that they were like no even in this incredibly heightened emotional situation mm-hmm. she's still perfectly calm and compassionate and composed and so i'm like that's a little much like you can give her some flaws you yeah know? even like even if it's 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 the most furthest away like it's a possible future that's probably not going to happen in this way like, you can give possible future Iris some flaws, even if you don't give present-day Iris some flaws. <laughs> I mean, it's not like she doesn't have flaws, but I feel like it was an interesting thing yeah. about her character, that she might not be a fantastic mother all the time. Right. You know, like, that's not exactly a damning character trait. Like, you know what I mean? Yep. I mean, Oliver <laughs> is a terrible father most of the time, right? So, <laughs> yeah. So, it's not like they're afraid to give the characters in these shows flaws. Um, so, yeah, anyway. Um so Arrow, I thought this was an interesting episode, although I, I think that I kind of, I, I had gotten excited about the premise mm-hmm. and they didn't really do enough with it, I thought. Because mm-hmm. the premise that I had read was, oh, this episode will be like an in-universe documentary narrated by Kelsey Grammer about Oliver Queen and mm-hmm. the vigilantes. I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, that sounds really cool. Like there was, there was a couple of great episodes of MASH that were kind of like that and other shows have kind of done. And of course, this entire shows whose format is basically like there's a documentary crew filming the characters and that's what we the audience are watching you know yep. like half the sitcoms that were on in the past 15 years have that have that format mm-hmm. and instead they start that way and they go with it a little bit and Kelsey Grammer has a couple of lines at the beginning and then we never hear him again mm-hmm. and it becomes half of the episode is kind of like the probably less than half maybe like 30 or 40 percent of the episode is like that I'd say maybe like a third is true documentary a third of the episode is like kind of documentary where it's like steady cam or shaky cam shots of like like um Blair Witch style yeah. of the camera crew filming what we would normally be seeing from an omniscient third person perspective mm-hmm. and then the final third of the episode was just regular omniscient third person mm-hmm. camera work where we were seeing the camera crew ourselves in the background instead of looking through their eyes mm-hmm. so i feel like it would have been interesting like You'd, if the whole thing were just a Talking Heads documentary, maybe that would be too boring for some some people. So make it like half that and half the Blair Witch style documentary footage, you mm-hmm. know? Don't, but the idea that a lot of the episode was just like regular footage, as mm-hmm. if it could come from any other episode to me, it's like you didn't really fully commit to your premise. Because I, w- I thought it was interesting to see like, and we saw characters that had like archival footage because they had the thing, oh, we've been working on this documentary for years. We just only now got enough funding to finish it. Mm-hmm. So they had archival interviews of people that aren't around anymore, mm-hmm. like Quentin and Thea and, uh, and Ragman and a few other people. Um, they even, why, I mean, it's fun for us, the audience, but why from the perspective of the people making this documentary, would they think to go interview Barry Allen? 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, I exactly. guess they've been seen together enough, and I guess it might be public knowledge that they were like best mans at each other's impromptu wedding or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's like public knowledge that they're good friends, I mm-hmm. guess. But it's the kind of thing where, like, really, would you go all the way to Central City to interview some some crime lab tech yeah. who's been seen with Oliver Queen a couple of times? You know? Yeah. I don't know. But it's fun for us, the audience, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, there's some interesting stuff happening in the episode. Do you, were you... So the, the one of the sequences we were seeing through the documentary cameraman was the sequence where they find Emiko and she's lying on the ground. She's not wearing a mask. Yeah. So are we to assume... So one thing I was a little confused by is I guess we're not supposed to assume that all of the footage we saw that way actually made it into the released version, right? Because there were several sequences where Oliver's like, you guys will edit that out, right? And they're like, yeah. oh, yeah, 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 we'll edit that out. Like, turn those cameras off. And yet we were still seeing it. Yeah. So I'm like, wait, is this... Did they leave that stuff in? Mm-hmm. Or... But... but as, it, as the episode progressed and we saw that not all, not everything we were seeing was supposed to be part of the documentary. Right. Like I said, it was like a third, a third, and a third. I think we're supposed to imagine that probably got that stuff edited out. Yeah. So that not the whole world doesn't know the new Green Arrow's face, I'm assuming. Yeah. Um, but I was worried about that for a second. It's like, oh man, the cameraman's pointing the camera right at her. But then, you know, they, because they didn't really go with the premise, I guess we're just assuming that that stuff got edited out. And the only stuff that we saw that was real documentary footage was like, the with stuff in the different aspect ratio that was yeah. mostly black and white, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, and they and so I guess so is is Team Arrow back or are are Diggle and Curtis still working at Argus? It's just that when they need to suit up, they can do so without breaking the law, or are they like leaving their jobs at Argus to become full time superheroes again? I think probably not, right? I didn't really get that impression. I yeah, I have no intel. I don't know. I mean, Renee was basically being wild dog again. Anyway. full-time anyway yeah so but i guess it's mostly diggle and curtis that i'm thinking are they now and i had forgotten that that dinah's identity as the black canary wasn't public i mean i guess i knew that i mean it was it was laurel's identity as a black canary that was a secret and then was revealed to the public after her death when they yep. unveiled that really ugly looking statue of her yeah um but yeah i guess i'm like oh the mayor doesn't know that she yeah you know but i mm-hmm. but that was in, and how do you how do you, do you think the whole mayor Reversing her position, kind of, you know, you know kind what I mean. Of, yeah. By the end, was a little like that felt a little predictable. Could drive like, oh, you know, the cause I don't even know how many episodes. The thing that I always think of in these situations is I know I, I the second time I brought up Mash on this show, but they would always do these episodes where, um, where a hard nosed general comes to comes to the four hundred seven seventh and doesn't like the way these these quippy doctors or like Hawkeye and, and stuff are, are doing things like, oh, they, they should behave like proper military men with decorum and respect and so on. But then when but then when they see like what awesome surgeons they are, and there's usually a thing where they have to save the general's life in some way on the operating <laughs> table, the general's like, oh, and now I see that you really are Competence. such a great, such a great surgeon that I didn't give you the respect. You know what I mean? So I kind of feel like this is, there's like the, you know, like this new mayor comes into town. It's like, I don't know, like the way you vigilantes are doing things. And the second they save her life, she's like, you know what? Maybe I was wrong kind of thing. It's that sort of a predictable reversal maybe predictable but i don't think it was a full reversal and i appreciated that no, too because I, yeah, it would have like been the too way they kind of tempered it a little bit yeah. she's not like vigilantes are great i'm gonna have the law overturned tomorrow it's more like i will exactly. go far enough to deputize you few individual people because who have proven yourselves yeah, who have proven yourselves but it's not going to be open season again right you know smallville like i was thinking this when we were watching the episode smallville actually did a similar thing in its final season they had like an what they call it? They might have even called it like the was it like the Vigilante Registration Act, or I might be confli- conflating that with the X Men comics where they had the Mutant Registration Act. It was like an anti-vigilante law, mm-hmm. and Martha, who had become a state senator, 
um, oh, was yeah, campaigning against that. it, and yeah. the, like people were trying to assassinate, like Deadshot was trying to assassinate her or something, um, and ultimately the law was defeated, and that it was like it was part of a whole thing where like it was the show had gotten kind of dark for a couple of seasons, and all the all the heroes were having to operate outside the law, but there was like vindication for them, mm-hmm. and then and so it was like the the tone lightened up as you went towards the end of the show, and he was publicly revealed as Superman and everything. Um, so kind of getting a similar thing here, but I do like that. I like the whole, I think the whole thing of him operating above board with the police is an interesting new way to go about yeah, it. Yeah, dynamic, yeah. Because it, it does, it's kind of, yeah, it I, it does kind of feel like the ultimate evolution of his mission. You know, like he's being, yeah. he's being who he's always wanted to be, but in public, like he doesn't have to hide it or apologize for it anymore. Yep. And he does seem more relaxed. Mm-hmm. than he has been in, in in a long time. So I think it's a it's an interesting... I mean, who knows how much longer the show is going to go. Maybe the last thing I'll say is that maybe I should have mentioned this in the news, but um, there have been a couple of interviews with the head of the CW and stuff, and he's saying that um, that he doesn't see any... And this is kind of contradicting stuff he said before, where he said, like, basically, I think we're full up on superhero shows. But now he's saying, you know, we've got Batwoman coming, and we've renewed all the existing shows for new seasons. That's another thing I probably should have mentioned at the top. All the CW shows have been renewed. Um, and plus, we've got the Batwoman show coming. And he says that, that he doesn't see any reason why they couldn't do even more. But he said mm-hmm. the one thing that they need to be aware of, and he specifically called out Arrow, which has now been renewed for its eighth season, he said that, you know, it's probably nearing the end of its life. Mm-hmm. But we do want to keep this this superhero universe going. So we're looking at possibly replacing shows that are maybe getting a little tired with newer shows. So, I mean, as sad as I'll be to see shows like Arrow and Flash and so on go... I, I do think that their plan is to keep this shared universe going. And so they'll retire old shows and introduce new spin-off shows and yep. just keep it going, which which is which is good. I mean, that's the way the comics work. That's the way, you know, that's yep. the way the Marvel movies are theoretically going to work. Like Chris Evans might not be Captain America anymore, but there's going to be more movies yep. set in the same universe. And who knows, he might pop up in a, as a cameo one day. Like, how awesome would it be if... You know, these, this universe is still going 10 years from now, and none of the current shows are on the air mm-hmm. still. But for the, the 20th anniversary of this universe, you know, Stephen Amell and Grant Gustin and so on come back to play the characters one more time and yeah. one big crossover or something like it's It's the kind of thing you can, you can do. I mean, mm-hmm. Star Trek shows do, used to do this all the time, right? Sure. Like a show would go off the air, but you'd still get those cast members popping up in other shows periodically. Yeah. The Var Burton would show up in the 100th episode of Voyager and, yep. you know? Um, so I think that that's a cool thing, and it's the kind of thing that people have wanted from other iterations before. Like when Smallville went off the air, they had built an, this awesome universe where there were a lot of other heroes, and people were like, they should do a, a Green Arrow spinoff starring Justin Hartley, or they should do a Justice League show because they've established this whole Justice League team on the show, and Clark could show up every now and then if they wanted to, but otherwise it would just be like Chloe and Oliver and Stargirl and, and a few of the other heroes that they'd introduced. Yep. Um, but they didn't end up doing that, and it they picked, They made the Smallville fans kind of mad when a year later they did a Green Arrow show. After all, it just was a different version of Green Arrow that wasn't associated with the old one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just just keep this universe going. Um, and who knows? Maybe the eighth season will be the last one for Arrow, or maybe they'll renew it for one or two more, and then that'll be it. But I think it's definitely getting closer to the end of its life. And if Flash and Supergirl, you know, probably have a few more years yet, but I think Arrow is almost certainly going to be the first one to to go. So it actually wouldn't surprise me if if the next season were. I think that its fate is getting increasingly tenuous. I think yeah. that the the days of it being a sure sure thing that all the CW shows are going to be renewed um is is over. And I mean they said that I mean we kind of knew that all the shows would be safe because yeah. 
they've got Crisis coming up this fall, right? And yeah. it would be really weird to cancel Arrow and not have Oliver in there after all the setup that was done yeah. in this year's crossover. Yeah. So I think we kind of knew that all the current shows would last one more year. But if Crisis is the big capper... Yeah, then after that... Then after that, who knows? Like Some of the characters might not be around anymore or might be permanently changed in a way that means that their shows don't really work anymore. Right. Like, they could use this as an opportunity to do that, like we've talked before. So, I don't know. I think it's it's uh, it's interesting. I, I agree. And I think that... One thing I'll say about Arrow is, um, how do you feel about the future stuff? Because um, for my part, I really don't like it. I don't like any of the future stuff I thought right it was now. clever in this episode to frame it as, oh, the documentary yes, you've been watching was, was actually clever. being watched by the future characters. I thought that was kind of clever. I agree. But no, I'm was, not really invested no. in, in that, that stuff at all. I, I thought... I think it's, for my part, I think it's sad that 30 years or 20 years or however far in the future is supposed to be, everything is so dilapidated that it's overgrown. Like this indoor indoor facility that Arrow uh, was going to be working out of, his Arrow cave, was so shabby and dilapidated and overgrown and exposed to the elements that it was raining through at that point. And I'm like, geez, this takes at least 100 years to get to that yeah, state. Yeah, and unlike The Flash or Legends of Tomorrow, yeah. I feel like... I feel like it doesn't really seem like the show's style or tone to like have a story where you avert a possible future. Like that happens in The Flash all the time. But Arrow, when it's not doing a crossover, is a more grounded show. Yeah. So I feel like the odds that we're good, the odds that there's going to be time travel involved here mm-hmm. and that this future is going to be averted is is less is a much smaller chance of that happening than what we're seeing, say, with The Flash, where I'm yeah. assuming that they're going to avert the future where Barry dies in the crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, yeah, I guess this is the definitive future, and it, it is does seem like kind of a bummer. Yeah, um, it's a big bummer, because it feels like everything that's going on now and all the things that are holding my interest in the in the current uh, timeline and the current with the current cast, like, all of it seems moot, because it's all going to wind up shot to hell anyway. So... Yeah, I maybe. Don't know. I it's mean, just, it's a little depressing, and I don't really particularly have any investment in any of the future characters. Like, I don't like to see I feel like we Dinah need, in old age uh, makeup or Mayor Mayor Wild Dog there just being a jerk. Well, and, I feel like we need. I feel like we need like future Felicity. I feel, future Future Roy is is probably the yeah, one that I'm cool. most invested in. But yeah, like I feel like we need future Oliver or future Felicity to show up to really feel invested in that those future storylines because I think there's probably no way that. Future Felicity is actually dead, despite the I fact that everybody is saying that. I also that. don't appreciate that it's taking all of this time for us to get to the point. It feels like um, we don't really know what happened, and we continue to not know what happened. Oh, it went to yeah, yeah. You said that five episodes ago. I think like, it's kind of. It. I think it's kind of like the trap, but with future stuff instead of past stuff that they fell into with um, with one of the flashback sequences in like season three or season four. I think it was the one where he was running around. Asia, you know, like, oh, right. it just yeah, seemed Hong like Kong nothing, yeah. there were whole episodes would go by and that whole plot didn't really advance and, at all. Like yeah. he was just fighting goons or running away from goons yeah. or whatever. And it feels like something similar is going on here where they have a certain amount of story that they want to tell over 23 episodes in the future, but they don't have 23 episodes worth of story. So whole episodes go by with no flash forwards, which is fine. But then even when we do get some of the flash forward scenes, it doesn't really seem like much happens. Exactly. I thought it was a cool setup at the beginning where William goes to Roy on the island and like, oh, we've got to go back to Star City. Like yep. that was a that was a cool was a hook. But then setup. they get there and it's just like, eh. it's but, boring. But I will say that the idea that it's depressing because that's the possibly the inevitable future. I mean, if you look at other things, like if you look at the comics, well, there's the Great Disaster 
is going to happen at some point, right? Like the commandy future is going to happen. So does that mean that everything yeah, Superman's doing is, you know what I mean? Like you moved. could apply that same argument to a lot of other, or everybody's really sad and old and Batman beyond. Does that affect the way you view like the Justice League series when you know, you know what I mean? Like Bruce is going to end up old and alone. Mm-hmm. So it's, you could apply the same logic to a lot of other shows. You could, but everything is so desolate. At least in the Batman future, there seems to be still hope. Well, it's because really just Terry Star Magnus City. It's, it's like, yeah, like most City of the people like moved over like, to the Glades and Star City proper has mm-hmm. sort of fallen into disrepair. Yeah. But I don't think we're supposed to think that like millions of people died there or something. It's just like the city got dilapidated and people, everybody left basically. Yeah. But why are the people who stayed staying? Yeah, I feel like they they haven't done enough world building. Like, why does everybody hate vigilantes? I guess because of something that happened that destroyed the city, I guess. Like, they blame them. Um, But yeah, it It just just... feels like there's an, that if we just were given more of the ground rules of this future, that we'd be more invested in it. But we still, we we don't really know enough about why the characters are different or why certain characters aren't there or why the world is the way it is to really feel invested. It's just like, just feel like they keep teasing it. Maybe if they did. Maybe they will do at one point, like an all-future... I, no, I think they even said this. I think they even said they're going to do an all-future episode, and that might be where we actually get... Oh, we they actually already get. did that, and did we got next to nothing. Did they, did they do an all-future yeah, episode? They when did, did do. they do that? This was several weeks ago, when they were um, completely... So, the theme of it was... Um, okay, that that was the one where we saw Mayor Renee... Um, Mayor... Um, no, that wasn't all-future, because remember even well, then... There they, was like two things in the present... I don't know. I think I that was their all. I don't think it episode. was weighted quite the way you. Because I remember they were doing multiple things where they did the thing with like his daughter was there, and then it did like the flash, and you saw it. Now it was his daughter in the future, like that. You know what I mean? Like it was his daughter's name was yeah. Zoe, right? Zoe, yeah. They had Zoe like turn her head, yeah, and like and then it, the it, it, there was like a transition yeah. to, and they did that. So I don't think I, that one. My that one was definitely weighted more towards the future stuff than most episodes, but it, I don't think it was all future. I think that I read that they're going to do a one hundred percent future episode, and maybe oh. that's where we start to get a bit more. Clarity. Uh, clarity and, and concrete information about what's going on. Well, there. we'll see. Yeah. I just hope they pick up the pace on that because I'm really not invested. I, and I'm at the point where I'm impatient. My, wor- my worry is that they've got an end game in mind for the show where much in the same way that the flashbacks kind of nicely tied together with the present at the end of season five mm-hmm. when he was fighting... Um, Prometheus, you know, like the, yeah. him, him getting off the island five years ago was juxtaposed with him running towards the boat to fight Prometheus in the present and thematically it all tied together nicely. Mm-hmm. That was like one of my favorite moments in the show when mm-hmm. that stuff mm-hmm. came together. My worry is that they have a similar thing in mind for this, where the end of the show in the present is going to dovetail with the conclusion of the future scenes in mm-hmm. some way. Yeah. But if the show keeps getting renewed, they might have to keep pushing that moment where the two dovetail off and... You know, mm-hmm. and so what if Arrow gets renewed through season ten or something? Are they going to have four years of dragging out this future storyline yeah. before they have it tie nicely together with what's happening in the present? That's that's at, my at concern. At that point, it won't even be worth the the wait. You know, because that's think, a long time. I think they should commit to just having a one or two year exactly series of future scenes and have it end after that, and then maybe either do something different for the final couple of years of the show. I'm assuming, say, it goes ten seasons. Do future scenes for season seven and eight, and then have it wrap up, and then either don't do any flashbacks or flash forwards for the last couple of seasons, or come up with some new interesting third thing to do. Yeah. But don't drag out the flash forwards for four years, for example. That seems a little much. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I'm with you on that. And that's it for our shows. Yeah, it's a good bit of shows. Um, if you want to reach out to the show, we have an email address, mailbag at smartspodcast.com. Our website is www.smartspodcast.com. On Twitter, we are at smartspodcast. And on Facebook, it's facebook.com slash smartspodcast. How about a funny sound for us? I don't have one. How about...
What's that? I don't know. 